This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. Just know that as we always start every show, before we start the show, we always pray together with our guests so that this would impact you guys like it's impacted us. But we want to thank you for tuning in all over Tampa Bay, from north of Fort Myers to south of Ocala, all the way over to Disney and Jacksonville and St. Augustine and Folkestone, Georgia, and of course, all over the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. You know, Jim, one of the things that we haven't uh, mentioned recently is the fact that we are on iHeartRadio. So every afternoon at 3 o'clock, people can find us. If they use Alexis or Echo or anything, they can... It's not Alexis. It's Alexa. Okay, well, if they use that too. (laughs) If you have Alexis, you can probably find it too, but... Okay, but if they're using any of those resources that can get them to iHeartRadio, very simply, they can say, hey, you, whoever your name is, play I Work For Him. Alexa, make donation, iWorkForHim.com. Right now. That's right. That Thank works you, fine. Alexa. Thank you, Alexa. You know, Martha, children are a gift from God. Christians are called to care for the widows and orphans. That's what I read. So why, it is, why is it in our society today, all over the U.S., that we have a foster care problem? Kids are told they're not wanted or too much trouble, and they're plugged into the system. It's almost like, I don't know, it's it's the system. And once they're in the system, they're mentally impacted, spiritually injured, and often physically abused. So what's the solution? Is it Christians getting more involved in the foster care system? Is it more Jesus-following families adopting more kids? Is it building more orphanages? Maybe it's a combination of all three. And maybe some more options to boot. Well, we got David Gibbs and Jonathan Bailey from the National Center for Life and Liberty. Well, they got this ministry that's a spinoff of the National Center for Life and Liberty called Hannah Grace Homes. And you're going to hear about this today. David Gibbs is an often guest on I Work For Him, fighting for the religious liberty rights of Christ followers across the nation, all the way up to the Supreme Court. David Gibbs, how many times, Supreme Court? Well, we've been up there four or five times, and uh, the one case, the Terry Schiavo case we were talking about before we went on the air, set a record before the Supreme Court. We were there twice in 10 days, uh, something that has never been done before, but we are certainly honored to be with you and and love your uh, ministry and what you're doing, and I often tease, Jim, that uh, my ministry is keeping guys like you out of jail, so I'm just glad to see you out before you're doing what you're doing. (laughs) Good to know. Oh, it's good to be your friend. I I, I understand. And you need to be. I hope I never have to make that phone call. But you need to be nice to Martha because if you're in jail and she's got to make a phone call, you know, she might think it's a character building experience to leave you in there for a while. So, so Paul the Apostle would say that jail was a character building experience thing for him so i I don't doubt that but uh, it's a place i don't want to go but if i have to go for my faith at least i don't want to go for something stupid like i littered accidentally and go to jail i want if i'm going to go to jail because of my faith I guess I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, you're looking to go big or go home. Yeah, you're right. going to do that's this right. right. Go that's big Jim or go style. home. Now, Jonathan Bailey, this is your first time on I Work For Him, so we do this with every first-time guest on the air. How did you become a Jesus follower? Well, at the age of four years old, um, I accepted Christ as my Savior, actually in the Awana program. I uh, grew up in the church and uh, had uh, Christian parents who taught me about God and, and who he was, and I uh, was in the Iwana program, and one of those specific nights, they were talking about the, the, the wordless book and talking about the, um, those, 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 the different options, uh, and uh, definitely uh, wanted to be one of those who went to heaven, so made that decision that night. 
Okay, but a lot of times we make those decisions as kids, but there's a certain point in time in our life as teenagers or young adults where we solidify that. We shove, we, we stick that commitment in concrete and we go, we're running forward with this deal. Where was that for you? I would say mostly that was somewhere in the age of 17 or 18. Um, I uh, had a, a childhood where I, I was very progressive. I wanted to go quickly. I wanted to, to, to be an adult really fast. And so graduated high school a little early, went to college, went to grad school, and started my career. And uh, it was about that time where I was trying to figure out exactly what, where career and God lined it up, lined up for me. And so I mm. kind of pendulum swung both directions and, and kind of ran uh, into Christ followers, not necessarily being Christ followers. And that uh, was Being kind out there in the workplace. Yeah, that's right. Kind wow. of ward, ward with that a little bit. But God kind of showed me what that looked like and got in the fundraising industry where I was working with rescue missions and faith-based organizations like Ligonier Ministries, World News Group, and really found my, my niche about you know helping raise funds to see God's mission go forward across the country. So I would say I, I, I always knew I was saved, always knew I was a Christian, but that was where I really found my place in God's kingdom and what he had me to do. Well, and Jonathan, what you just said, I mean, what you saw out there in the workforces of America is why we're on the air. Too yeah. many Jesus followers don't know how to connect their faith in their work, and so you're seeing stuff out in the workplace going, wait a minute, there's a disconnect there between faith and work. And David Gibbs, I don't know if you heard Jonathan just say that, but did you know that you hired a progressive? Well, we did, and, and he's helping us move forward. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I think, by the way, I, I want to say this for everybody. One of the lies of the devil in our culture is that you're holding even. Everybody, every single day, is either growing closer to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or they're drifting away. And I think one of the lies of the devil is, I'm about the same, I'm kind of where I'm mm -hmm. at. And what that really is, is a grand excuse that you're sliding into a backward state. And I would even say this, Jim, when you say many Christ followers aren't doing it, I might say many Christ believers aren't doing it. I love what you say. If you're a Christ follower, you got to live it. You got to right. be real. You got to be out there. And and you know, uh, we hear in our culture about all these people that are out of the closet. But sadly, to me, so many Christians have climbed in the closet. They right. they want to go to heaven when they die, as Jonathan said. Heaven sounds great. Hell doesn't sound attractive. But they don't want to actively live their faith. And that's what I love about I work for him is you motivate people to come out of the closet that's and right. to actually be a follower and do what God's called them to do. Well, normally I describe that as you run into a lot of quote unquote Christians out there in the workplace. But when somebody becomes a Jesus follower, all of a sudden they start to understand their faith and their work. Everything about us should be radically transforming because of what Christ does in our lives. I mean, that's what the whole idea is behind us. Absolutely. David, you when we, were, when we last recorded a show together a couple of months ago, you brought up that, you've, that the Lord has expanded your territory, done the whole Jabez deal to you. And, <laughs> and, and, and we're going to talk about the foster care system today in this country. You... Uh, you are, are so involved in the court system throughout our country, fighting for religious liberty, yet what we've realized is that there's some major issues in the foster care system. Why don't you just talk to us about that? Well, there is a crisis in young people across the nation, but in particular, we can focus for many of your listeners on the state of Florida. And they can be labeled, and, and by the way, it's always sad when children get labeled. Mm -hmm. You know, they call them at risk, or they call them fatherless, or they call them, you know, p potential wards of the state. And, and we, we see some very, very tragic situations where children are, as you said earlier, Jim, pulled into the system. Now, when somebody goes, well, what is the system? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, really, the system is an interesting menagerie of government, social services, courts, private placement, foster care. There's a whole litany. But, but what we're really talking about is children who are no longer safely 
in the care of their own families. And a lot of times it's the moms or dads. And it can be a whole litany of uh, the parents who are abusive, the parents are in prison, the parents are unable to care for them, the parents are derelict in their duty, they, they don't take them to school, they don't feed them. And so these kids are traumatized because they have been entrusted to people that were supposed to care for them. But instead of doing what you and I would say good parents should do, uh, they have failed these children. And then we, we see the system emerge. You know, what happens to a child when the parents are taken to prison? And, and I think a lot of people don't even really think about it. You know, what, what happens when a, somebody who's in prison has a baby? You know, where does that child go? And, mm -hmm. and how are these children handled in our society? And what role should we play as the church or as Christians or as concerned citizens? Because almost, Jim, what I find is there's like this world over here and we probably intellectually know it exists. If you were to say, you know, are there at-risk kids? Are there problems? Are there kids that are being trafficked? Are there kids that are being sold for, you know, drugs and sex and all the menagerie of sin in our culture? I think most people go, yeah, that probably happens. But I live in a gated community. I live in a nice world. My kids are okay. Matter of fact, my kids are in private school and a good public school. And, and we almost forget that this other world exists. Well, I think what's really important for us to make sure we let our I Work For Him audience know, Martha, is that we're talking about the foster care system today because as Jesus followers, we all, you know, we're talking about faith and work, yet this is, this is for the, the part of our life that's outside of our 40 or 50 hours a week that work. We got kids out there that need it and the church is the solution. That's right. And just um, understanding that we have a role to play and it's that whole we don't even know what we don't know. And that's why we love having these conversations to open our eyes. Right. And we're going to talk deeply about the solutions, some of the new solutions that are out there and some of the things that we can do to solve this problem. I just want you to open up your eyes, your minds to be able to this idea of, hey, could I be a foster parent? Could I adopt a child that is out there in the system? You listen to I Work For Him as we talk with David Gibbs the third from the National Center for Life and Liberty. But today we're not talking about people like you and me getting in legal trouble because of our faith in our workplace or our faith out there in the community we're talking today about the foster care system why martha should we talk about the foster care system well you know jim it is biblical um for us to take a role in in taking responsibility and caring for the widows and the orphans and there's so many things in the bible that um they've been talked about but yet not, we don't necessarily make them personal. And I think this is one of those areas where some people have taken it very personal and made it their their life mission to, to work with the kids um, that may be in the foster system or orphaned, whatever it might be. Um, but bringing light to that and bringing it through a biblical lens to our listeners, just to just to make them aware that they can play a role. And it, it, it may look different for every single person, and we're not telling everybody what they need to do, but being aware of what God is doing in this area and what part we can maybe play. David Gibbs, it's my theory that if the church would do what the church was called to do, the foster care system wouldn't be necessary. Is it true? I would say there's completely a huge need that is not being met by the church and really by the, the private sector. So you, I believe you're absolutely right, Jim. And I'm a big believer, as Martha said, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. And what that verse is, uh, Jesus on Judgment Day is rewarding the righteous. And he says, what you've done unto the least of these, 
you've done unto me. Now, we're, we're not minimizing who these kids are, but when you think about the least of these, you're talking about people who can't do anything back for you. Yep. And here you have children that are being stripped away from their parents, oftentimes from poor backgrounds. There's no resource, and, and they're in such need for all the things kids need, just regular care, a place to sleep, medicine, cereal in the morning, uh, getting to school. And, and then you look at them needing counsel and, and training and, and, and what other inputs, what life skills are these children going to be given? And it, it is heartbreaking when you look at the travesty. And, and what we at the National Center for Life and Liberty um, wanted to do and we felt called to do was to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And, and I think you're absolutely right that a lot of people just ignore or pretend the problem doesn't exist. And we have been able to actually uh, have a residential care facility, the Hannah Grace Homes, that is uh, ministering uh, to children on a regular basis. And uh, Mr. Bailey, um, when we started into this, he said, now we're, we're doing what exactly? You know, how, how are we getting into this? What, what, is, what is God calling us to do? And he has, um, as the executive director over there, among his other responsibilities, has immersed himself in actually ministering to the children. And, and we knew there was a problem. But until you actually wade into it, it's hard to fully comprehend the scope of it. And, and Jonathan, share just a little bit as you were kind of maybe as a successful businessman, as somebody in ministry, you were pulled into the system, really not that aware of exactly how bad things were. Yeah, you're definitely right. When we decided to do Hannah Grace, we were thinking of the young children who had lost a mom and dad recently, who were recently into foster care. And uh, we, we bought a 200-acre campus, and uh, we had um, houses on that campus, cottages. And uh, we were thinking these kids would come in, kind of the, the typical foster care kids you'd kind of think of at Christmas time with the blankets and the teddy bears. And what God had assigned to us was not children with blankets and teddy bears. Um, he assigned us to some of the kids that are probably some of the most hurting kids in the system. Um, in today's foster care system, the kids that don't get help are the teenagers. Um, mm. The kids that don't mm. get anyone who wants because to really they're not cute and cuddly, help. and they 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 definitely do things that aren't cute and cuddly. And uh, you know, I think we've we've seen things and been involved in things that I wouldn't have ever have thought in the last uh, ten to twelve months. Um, the biggest problem that we have is that there's so much trauma with today's youth. Mm. Um, things that have happened to them in the past, things that have happened to them with their parents. The typical child coming onto our campus has been through significant sexual trauma and uh, not only significant sexual trauma, but also emotional trauma with uh, multiple parents leaving, abandonment. Um, we've had several kids on our campuses that were living on the streets and um, providing for them and their children or their, their brothers and sisters, which mm -hmm. in a sense has parentified them in a lot of ways. Um, they're becoming the parent. So I, I would definitely say what we thought we were going to be involved in changed drastically and, uh, you know, in the last 12 months, David and I both um, have developed a passion for these neglected children in the system, and it's going to become worse. Um, there's a, a new legislation coming out called Family First, which is changing foster care from what it is today to really being a, um, a home-centric environment with in-home services. New legislation in the state of Florida? Federal legislation. Federal legislation, okay. And the federal legislation controls most of the funding in the foster care system because most most foster care funding in most states are coming from the federal government. All right. So describe what the, is this new? I mean, a lot of times we get legislation and it's not always a good thing. Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't know about how you feel about Washington, but a lot of times stuff that comes out of there, 
it's not always to the benefit of what we're trying, the problem we're trying to solve. And most of the time when the government tries to solve a problem, all they do is create additional problems. Yeah, that's right. So as we're talking with Jonathan Bailey and David Gibbs about Hannah Grace Holmes, really we're talking about the foster care system and how Christians, Jesus followers, can make a huge impact. Jonathan, what's this new legislation all about? I, th- I think it does what all stuff uh, coming out of Washington does. It solves some problems and creates other problems. But one of the things that it does <laughs> do, in a lot of sense, is it's trying to keep children in the homes that they're in. Um, that has been a pendulum swing back and forth in the last decade where you'll see trying to do in-home services, um, death rates of children in homes, abandonment issues will increase. They'll swing back to out-of-home services. But this legislation is pushing to keep children in the homes, um, providing services to the family, to the, the mother, to the father in the home. It's also forcing group homes really out of the picture. Florida Baptist has closed most of their group homes in the state of Florida. Um, and so basically anyone who's deciding to stay in the residential campus environment is going to be working with what's called QRTP or Qualified Residential Treatment Programs. And so basically if you want to be in the residential program uh, world, you're going to be dealing with the toughest kids in the system. So we, have, we have signed up for things that uh, we, not, we, we still do not know exactly the extent of what we well, signed and, up for. And Jim, so you understand, and I don't like to label kids, but for the listeners to understand, Um, Generally, in the foster care world, there's level one to five. And level one is what Jonathan described, you know, basically any child on a bad day. You know, child gets into some drugs or alcohol or commits a crime, but they're still basically compliant. They still will listen to an adult. They still have some. And those are the kids that they're trying to keep in the homes or in the foster care system. Now you go to level five. These kids are violent, dangerous. I mean, the only way you really deal with these children is like full lockdown, um, almost like jail. I mean, your, mm-hmm. your, your staff at this point are wearing weapons because every one of these residents could end your life. So you're, you look at those are the polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Now, then you have levels two to four. Now, let's be very candid. You know, how do you label whether someone's a two or four? It's very hard to know where they're at and in these pendulums. But these are the kids that are being pushed into these uh, QRTP programs, the residential care. And almost all of them have been at some point um, abused in some manner, oftentimes sexually. Um, some of them have been trafficked. Um, they have, you know, been neglected. And so you're dealing with, you know, we can use words like post-traumatic stress. But, I mean, these children have been just taught not to trust. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and what's sad to me, too, some of these kids walk on the campus and they know the plan of salvation better than you and I. I mean, they've been to more camps programs things they've they've they they could parrot it but they haven't adopted it in their own heart because they'll say things to you like i've learned i can't trust anybody Mm. why would i trust god or you or and and it is sad um there is a lot of and i'm going to use the word manipulation these children they get lied to I mean, they get told different things, and, and, and sometimes, you know, they might be well-meaning. I totally disagree with this approach, but the, the social workers or others will, you know, tell them things that may not be true to get behavior to happen. And then when the child finds out they've been lied to, sure. it's devastating, and that, again, builds that wall. And so one of the things we try to do at Hannah Grace is, um, you know, it sounds so basic, but just be honest 
with the children. Let them begin to realize that you can trust because before they're going to trust God or adults or anyone, even the police or so, right. I mean, they, they have to realize that this person will talk to me and, and that they will share with me openly and honestly. And, and some of those, what you and I would call just simple things that almost go without saying, uh, these kids, I mean, they, they'll walk up to me and say, Oh, you know, Mr. Jonathan, you know, he always tells me the truth. And to them, that's like amazing. The, the fact that there'd be an adult in their world that they can actually talk to and trust means more to them than you can realize. Mm. So um, you're just seeing, ultimately you're going to have kids making changes in their life because of that, just being able to trust the people that are living around them. So that's encouraging. And and I think a lot of times we have to be okay with them not making changes. I mean, I think Mm. that's where we lose most Christians in the foster care program or the foster care system is that a lot of times they want to they want to love the children, they want to do something nice for them, and they want the children to reciprocate by obeying <laughs> or doing things. And what this is not a short game. This is not a sixty, yeah, this ninety, eight hundred twenty sprint for sure. This is a long range perspective, and you can you can be you can do the right things for kids. You can do everything that you want to do, and that child can still turn around and cuss you out in the face. But you have to, as a Christian, go. I forgive you. God loves you. And we're going to continue to love you regardless of your actions. Yeah. Talking about the foster care system today. Why? On a faith and work show, we're talking about the foster care system. I don't know, David Gibbs, you tell them. Well, absolutely, because everybody needs to be concerned about future generations. Now, we can put it at a lot of levels, whether you're worried about crime, whether you're worried about education, whether you're worried about future employees that you may have to hire. Mm. We have to realize the future generation is the workplace of the future. And so we're in a society right now where a lot of people want to say, well, that's educators, that's social workers, it's not my problem. But the reality is, as followers of Christ, it's all of our problem because we know that before somebody's going to trust Christ, it happens more often than not before the age of 21. And so if we lose the younger generation, and, and we see statistics, Jim, and you know these that are exploding, you know, the fastest growing religion statistically is I don't believe anything. It's the nuns. It's the it's the nothings. I mean, and, and it's exploding out the top, and, and we're watching where our churches, and we believe in church, and we at the NCAA help churches, but I mean, it's the 50 and overs that are faithful and, and getting young people excited and engaged and wanting to be part of a congregation. And so it's something that's impacting our culture, our country. And it's something that I think we almost want to ignore. I I know I've always had a calling to it, and I believe the Lord opened this door for us to be way more actively involved. And and we have the legal background and the opportunity Mm -hmm. to be involved in a lot of this, but I didn't have any idea is how bad the problem was. I mean, when when, when you say, you know, when when a a nine-year-old walks on your campus and you say, why is this child here? Because, you know, why would this child not be in foster care? And you find out that uh, caregivers, parents, relatives have been, you know, taking advantage of this child sexually since age three. And you look at the, the damage and the hurt and, and, and what they're going through. And, and you say, you know, how has our country, how has our culture gotten that depraved? And so I, I get shocked at what I would call the sin mm. in our culture. And, and I know we, we should be wise to it. But I mean, the reality is that the level of depravity, I mean, when you look at what's going on in our culture, but then number two, the hurt of these kids and the need is so great. I mean, we're in a society right now where, um, you know, the, the government doesn't have unlimited resource. I mean, we need to realize our, our federal government's running massive deficits. Um, our state governments are struggling, I mean, to keep their budgets intact. 
And just throwing money at it is not the answer. We need people that say, you know what, I want to be part of the solution. I'm willing to you know, volunteer on a campus like Hannah Grace. So I want to, maybe I can't take a foster kid, but I would love to adopt a child and, and help a little bit financially. I mean, every child we take on our campus, uh, we lose money. Okay, we do it because this is what the Lord has called you us to do. You lose money when you look at the stipend you get from the government. That's correct. And, and, and we say, but you know what? If we don't build the trust and care for these children, um, what kind of future is our nation going to have? And then there's also a calling to it. And, and I would encourage every one of your listeners, it doesn't have to be foster care. It doesn't have to be at-risk kids. It doesn't have to be hurting children. But every one of your successful business people, your hardworking folks, even working class people, you don't need to be wealthy or even your own boss, but somebody that's just, you have a job, you've been blessed. What are you doing to passionately invest time and treasure you know, money sure. and resource and effort into something that's going to make a spiritual difference. I mean, Jonathan, when when you originally walked on the Hannah Grace campus, I mean, you really didn't have any ideas to the scope of the problem. No, we didn't, especially in Florida. Florida has some of the more chronic issues when it comes to at-risk youth. Um, and, you know, we've seen some stuff that I, I wouldn't have ever thought I would have been involved in. I've heard about human trafficking. I've heard about, uh, you know, guys taking girls and doing things. I've chased human traffickers off of our front uh, porch. We've, uh, we were flying down the interstate trying to get a license plate and make sure he didn't come back. Um, we've had them um, uh, sending recruiters into the high school and trying to get a hold of some of the girls. Um, in the foster care system specifically, they're very vulnerable to this. And so what they'll do is they'll send a recruiter in who they've taken care of and very nice to. She'll go into the to the um, the high school and then she'll let the other girls know there's a place they can go to get drugs or get this or get money. And then they'll all try to, to run away or get to those places and, and get with those. And then they'll bus them into Orlando to work during the day and bus them back to the houses at night. And so it, it's been interesting. I mean, there's, there's so much depravity in our culture and there's so much that is – that is stacked up against these kids as far as for them to be successfully moving from the, the teenage years to becoming adult. There's so much pressure, so many things pulling at them that sometimes it's overwhelming to figure out which one to attack first, you know, which problem to try to deal with first. But I think what we try to do fundamentally is we try to keep them safe. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's days where, you know, we go to bed and go, we didn't do much else today other than we kept those kids safe. And uh, we have to be okay with that. And then we f try to find a way for them to get healthier mentally, you know, understanding who they are, understanding who God is, understanding what their place in the world is and that they're valuable and God gives them value and meaning and, and that they don't need to become someone else's uh, slave or something for someone to manipulate, that God's given them a purpose in life. And then if we can try to establish their self-worth, then we try to help them become goal-oriented and be able to achieve. But that that progression can take years. It can take months. It can take a uh, it can take a very long time. And we may not even see that progression fully happen on our campus. But um, our goal is really to get every child through that those progressions. Isn't there also an issue with the foster care system kicking kids out at eighteen, even if they're still in school? I mean, but th these kids at eighteen. They get kicked out of the system, right? I mean, if, if somebody's got a foster home and they've got a foster kid in the foster home, don't they say they, they stop making money on that kid, right? 
Well, one of the things that they're doing now in the state of Florida, which I think is starting to address the problem that you're talking about, is the independent living program. And so we actually are launching this summer our independent living program. We have first our first two kids that are going into the program that are going to be getting their stipend for room and board from the state. Um, they're also going to get their college tuition paid for by the state. Um, we have one uh, young man who's done extremely well and is going to be attending college uh, in the fall and uh, will be in our independent living program. So I, I do think... Um, that has been a, a problem over time. I think the independent living program, which is a new part of the foster care system, relatively new part compared to the rest of it, is trying to address that problem specifically. So we're actually opening up our independent living apartments um, in, at the end mm-hmm. of May. So we're, we're excited about that new addition to Hannah Grace. And Jim, you've got your thumb on the problem, though. Just because a child went from 17 to 18, that's not an instantaneous. I mean, we, we legally use that as okay. They're now an adult, right. okay. But the reality <laughs> is that kid still has all the same hurt, all the same problems, and so we're very excited about. And the, there's no way they could support themselves. Not and at all. There's no job they can get well, at 18 that could support them. Let, let's be candid. There's no gainful employment yeah. that we want them to go do. No right. legal moral they, employment, right? If, if okay, they're okay, going okay. to go, basically, sexually sell themselves. Okay, they can go into trafficking and prostitution or get involved in the drug industry, which we all know is crimes and it's, you know, it's non-taxable, cash-driven. There's a whole subculture. Yes, there are things they can go do. But we as a society say, no, that's against the law. Obviously, as Christians, we, we don't want them in that. And it just destroys them as people. Oh, it, it ends their life. And, and the other issue we have to realize is the age of what we're dealing with. I mean, so, you know, we, we've prematurely sexualized our society. Kids are, you know, through the internet and through schools. So, I mean, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine in Washington, D.C. He said, David, I'm dealing with, you know, 12-year-old parents, 24-year-old grandparents, 36-year-old great-grandparents, mm-hmm. and 48-year-old great-great. And he said, this is crazy. Okay, I mean, a 48-year-old that should probably be what we might say grandparent age is multiple generations down the line. A lot of times that 48-year-old is raising their great-great grandchildren because everybody else and we have to break this cycle mm-hmm. and it it's not going to just be hannah grace homes it's not just going to be one church but it's going to be all of us saying you know what we have to give these kids some opportunity to be safe we have to give them some opportunity for hope and we have to be willing and, and i think we've said it but I, I i really want to stress this that we have to be patient mm-hmm. i mean one of the things we have with our staff we have a lot of turnover and, and it's unfortunate because people come in with idealistic expectations that they're going to just be hugged and these kids are going to go thank you for caring for me okay and the first time a child cusses them out yells misbehaves says no i won't storms out the door i mean typical behavior of kids that are upset okay we have to spend a lot of time with our staff training them on let's not trigger the children okay that they're upset if you become upset, all you've done is create this problem. By the way, this is good for parents in their own homes, too. The more, <laughs> the more you yell, uh, the less success you're going to have. Yeah. So sometimes recognizing that you have to have that patient spirit where you say, you know what, we're not going to. This took years. Yeah. For some of these kids, it took a decade for their mm. life to be this messed up. I mean, when, when you've been on a van and the traffickers are trying to get you out of the country and the police raid the van and you're thrown into the system, and you've been sexually, physically abused, you've been drugged out of your mind, okay, we can't expect these kids to just flip on a dime. They, they have been traumatized, abused, mistreated. Everybody's And it's what them. they knew. 
It's their life. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if I could say this, some of them are good at it. So in a way, it's an area where in their minds, they've been successful. Mm. Now we say, okay, let's go to school and learn math. Well, that's really hard. I don't, you know. So in a way, you're taking them out of a world they figured out at least how to survive. Right. They figured out how to survive. They've got survival instinct. And now you're putting them in a world where they're trying to not fail. And that's very, very difficult. And it has to be a patient. That's where, as I look at this, people have to realize, you know, whether it's a foster child like you did or Hannah Grace Holmes, you have to have that spirit of, I'm not going to let these kids trigger me. And we're going to be in for the long game. And maybe it'll be when they're 25 and they call us back that we'll see the success of what we did when they were 15. So one of the things that I often do is I sit here and I think, okay, how... How do we have a conversation that our listeners are hearing this and maybe they're hearing things for the first time in real terms, you know, and you're being very gracious and very general, but hearing, you know, the the tough situations that these kids have endured, how do we, as the listeners, as the, as somebody new hearing this information, how do we respond? What do we even do without just being home and being overwhelmed or being in the car and thinking, I've never thought about all that these children might be enduring and what can I possibly do about it? What, what are some things that come to mind that people that, you know, whether it's, I'm sure donations is a part of it, but what, what can people do instead of just not knowing? I think, I think becoming a mentor is a really big part of that. Um, There's a lot of mentorship programs available in Tampa um, from Big Brothers, Big Sisters to mentoring at Hannah Grace. Um, I think you have to, if you want to get into this um, area of, of social care or, 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 or assist in this way, you're going to have to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that in the rescue mission space with the homeless quite a bit too. When you start feeding people in the homeless space, you see a lot of times where they come to get food and they don't appreciate it. So I think you can't just jump in both feet. And so what I would recommend is starting in that mentoring and then look at the, 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 what other options are down the road. So Jonathan, one of the things that I just want our listeners to be aware, and they're hearing this all over the country, but we're talking specifically Florida because that's where you guys are, are working in, in this um, Hannah Grace Homes. What's going on in the state of Florida? How many kids are in the system that we keep talking about? Somewhere in the eighteen to 20,000 kids uh, range is in the system in Florida, which means they have not been ident- identified for a permanent home or permanent placement. So with 20,000 uh, kids in the system, we talk a lot of times if every church in the state of Florida were to take one or two foster kids under their wing, you would empty out the system pretty quickly. Mm. But to answer a question that you were asking before the, the wait, break. Wait, 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 wait. Do, do not move on. That is incredible. <laughs> He's really good at that, I know, though, but that but was incredible. You want to So you say if every it. church adopted one or two kids... In the, I mean, if every church did, the system would be empty. Yeah, that's right. That's a sta- that's a staggering well, statistic. Uh, Jim, I got to jump in here. I think that's a challenge to our pastors, our ministry leaders, our board members. It's not even on their radar, though. But I think every listener needs to say, you know what? What could my church do? Yep. Now, if your church is involved, I commend you. But the vast majority of churches, this is something that they they haven't even thought to pray about it yet. Right. Much less get involved. But you're talking Idlewild. It's got 20,000 families in it. They could take care of the whole system. Well, potentially <laughs> any any big church could have huge impact. But you know what? Even a, a church that says we run 60, 
you could help a kid or two. Yeah. I mean, if you were to really look at it. And, and by the way, suppose somebody says, I'm willing to get involved as a foster parent. What would be wrong with the church saying, you know, once a month we're going to take up an offering. And as a church, we're going to just invest in these kids too. I mean, it could become a support group. It could yep. become a partnership. That foster a mission that, of the church. That foster parent wants to go on vacation. Somebody else says, I want to watch. Yeah. So just back to what we were talking before the break, I think. I think it's very important to understand that you don't have to just jump in and do full bore. Like you said, you don't have to become an adoptive parent. Um, there's a couple of different things you can do. One is you can be a mentor, which we talked about before the mm-hmm. break. I think mentorship is a huge area. Um, these young people need someone who will stay consistent, consistently in their lives. I would say if you do become a mentor, do not flake because you show up and then you don't show up again. That's more hurtful than helpful. And so oh. I think if you're going to do that, Jonathan, make sure you stay, they need, stay the course. They need to understand at Christmas time we get notified that parents are going to come maybe visit their child. And I believe we had 18 potential visits at Christmas time. And how many of the children sat there by the hour and waited and the parent never showed up? Yeah, there was two kids specifically that were literally waiting on a bench um, and that uh, they thought the mom was going to come. And the worker called 30 minutes after the visit was supposed to happen and uh, both children, you know, spent the Christmas on the campus without being able to see their their biological mom or dad. But I do think I do think that disappointment something that they experience a lot. So if you're going to be mm-hmm. a mentor, be in the long run. Don't just drift in and out. Um, there's respite care opportunities. You can be a respite parent for a foster parent who needs some a respite opportunity when they go on family vacation or need a break. Um, you can also be respite for a family who is struggling and needs someone to help them with their child for a short period of time. Safe Families is a group here um, in the in the southeast that does a lot with um, respite care. And then we also see Eckerd is the um, is the placement agency and the adoptive Eckerd college Eckerd it's it's the organization yeah it's the the child placement agency here okay. in the florida area Eckerd does a lot um with um specifically uh, the adoptive side and also with the foster care side so you can become a foster parent you become a respite parent you become a mentor um even if you just want to support a foster family and um, there's a lot of organizations in the state of florida that you can actually donate to actually help um, there's a couple of groups um, that t- you can actually give money to help a foster family take on an additional child. So whether it's direct or indirect, mm-hmm. I do think it's the church's problem to solve. And I think um, what we got to we have to realize in the movie that um, that uh, that just came out. Um, instant family. Instant family had a lot of very, I thought, stark realities presented in it. Was, it. it was actually a pretty good movie. I thought it was actually fairly realistic. And the girl, right, the girl was struggling. The teenage girl was struggling with the relationship. And, you know, typical Hollywood at the end, the girl loves them and cares for them. And, <laughs> you know, so I liked how it resolved out. What? But we find a lot of times that that scenario right there is where most foster parents bail out or most caregivers bail out because when you get that rejection, you give love to the child. The child rejects it. Um, and, and, and what I tell our, 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 our people, staff on the campus, is I say, we reject Christ's love all the time. And mm. so if we can't, we can't go through that rejection with these children, then we don't understand our really own relationship with God. And so I asked them, I said, you know, be willing to deal with the rejection, be willing to deal with it because they've been rejected and they want to know these kids will reject them just to know if they're going to keep loving them or not. And I had a child the other day and I know our time's getting short, but I had a child. I said, why did you, why were you so mean to the new parent, foster parents or the new house parents? She said, I just wanted to see if they would stick it out. And I, <laughs> I, I laughed. I said, well, I've been here since the beginning. You haven't run me off. And she said, we know. 
And it's amazing wow. that the people who stick it out are the people that win the day. And I think a lot of times um, as Christians, we want insta fixes. We want quick results. We want, you know, pray a quick prayer. God, make this child be right. You know, sometimes you, we're looking at a long game. And, and I think we have to understand that as a church. Well, you mentioned television and Hollywood mindset. What's a typical TV show? You have intrigue, you have crisis, and then what happens in 28 minutes? Resolution, Resolve. everything works great. But you know what? That's fantasy. That's not life. Yeah. And, and investing in a child is something where you have to say, I, one of the little kids came up to me and said, uh, do you work with Mr. Jonathan? I said, yeah, I do. And he's like, say only good things about Mr. Jonathan to his bosses because uh, we don't want to lose Mr. Jonathan. And, and you know, these kids will... They, they will begin to realize that somebody is there who yep. cares. Who actually and loves them. somebody yep. is going to be consistent. And by the way, somebody is going to also be forgiving like we want them to realize their Heavenly Father is when they don't quite behave. You know, we laid out eight boxes of cereal to feed a house one morning. And the kids didn't touch our cereal. They had all hidden their cereal in other places oh, that they hilarious. hide from the other kids. And, and you sit there and say, what's going on? But you know what? Once they sense love and once they sense that you are there for them and that you're not going to judge them, you're going to guide them, you're going to help them, but you're going to be there for them, um, that is powerful. But that does not happen. And, and Jim, you know this, and Martha, you know this with your own experience. It's not a one and done. It's not a 28 minutes and it's over. It's somebody who says, you know what? I've been blessed. We've all been blessed. Health, effort, energy, resource, whatever. The folks that are working, listening to this program right now, they're blessed with opportunity, education. We've all been blessed. But that opportunity to give back to somebody who is so lacking in what we would say would be blessings and to be there for them and to be their blessing mm -hmm. is a true joy from the Lord. So we need to let our listeners know, how in the world do they connect with you guys? HannahGrace.com is the website for your community that you guys have and we're not going to say where it is hannahgrace.com if they call you guys can you guys direct them to the right places to say i want to get involved in foster care i have no idea how to start can you tell them where to go absolutely yeah there's there's um cbc's or child placement agencies in every area of florida uh, we work with them all across the state and so uh, if they call our office uh, we'll and they just say we're, we're interested in hannah grace but we also just want to know how to get involved in foster care we'll ask right. them their city state We'll, we'll provide them that information. And also I would recommend they also Google the information themselves and start to research it on their own because I do think that a lot of times the process is a, a great thing to start learning. And um, every area of the, of the state, they have classes that you can take. You don't have to make any commitment to take the class, but you can just take an right. evening class, learn about foster care, learn about the options, whether it's adoption or relief or foster parenting, and get more information. And uh, what's the really sad thing is um, my wife and I currently are going through the process to take a, a, a teenager into our home and they sent us a website link with um, all these girls pictures on it and they told us to pick one it's like amazon.com for children and I understand the intent and I understand what they're trying to do and I'm not saying that you know that's a horrible way to do it but I would say <laughs> that we live in a we live in a world where it's you know this is there's kids that need help and there's a lit there's there's teenagers right now in Tampa Bay who are getting up going to school and coming home without anyone that's that's being a parent to them and um, if we're if we're truly going to show Christ's love and be the church, man, I'd love to see the, that list dwindle to zero here, just even in the Tampa Bay area. Well, and we're and we're broadcasting all over Tampa Bay, all over Jacksonville and the First Coast, all over Hampton Roads area, Virginia, and then around the world, where this is a situation everywhere. Absolutely. Well, there are there are kids that are needy. And what's interesting, as you said earlier, David, the reason we're talking about this and I work for him is this is 
these are kids that are going to get hired one day for a job. Absolutely. And, and our employees have the same kind of needs. A lot of them have emotional, spiritual, physical damage that's been done to them as children, and we're dealing with that now as they are adults. They need to know that they're loved, that they're appreciated, that they're accepted in order to really perform well in their job. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of thing. David, in 30 seconds or less, tell people why, how, the best way for them to get involved today. Well, number one, pray for these children. We need to see God's hand move. Number two, make sure that your church and support group is at least getting active and involved. And then number three, regardless of whether you can do it personally, but being involved at some level. If you say, you know what, I'd like to come out to Hannah Grace and just look at it. We'd love to have you. We're being contacted by Indian reservations, other states, people saying we have need across America. Mm. And so we just need folks to have a heart to say, you know what, I'll get involved. I'll give, I'll pray, I'll be the Christian for the least of these God's called me to be. Check out Hannah Grace online, hannahgrace.com, hannahgrace.com. I would love for you, our listeners, to do just what David said. Pray about this. Make sure your church is aware of this. Listen, if there's 20,000 kids in Florida that need a home, we've got 20,000 churches that can solve that problem. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.